0: Welcome to a Pulp Event podcast, brought to you by the Pulp Net, your link to the online world of the pulp magazines for over 25 years. Online at thepulp.net. In this pulp event podcast, Rick Lay moderates a discussion of science fiction grandmaster Philip Jose Farmer's Secrets of the Nine Books, with win Scott Eckert and Frank Schildiner. The presentation was part of FarmerCon 17 held in conjunction with PulpFest 50. Farmer Khan celebrates the legacy of author Philip Jose Farmer. The talk was recorded on Thursday, August 4, 2022, at PulpFest 50 in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Rick begins.
1: Yes, we have a series called Secret of the Nine, which uh, came, was created before the Waterloo Universe but, uh, and was totally separate until this novel. So perhaps when you could explain the uh, previous novels in uh, The Secret of the Nine series.
2: Sure. Uh, So the first book that Farmer wrote came out in uh, 1969 called A Feast Unknown, uh, and it may be uh, well known for controversial Reasons among those who have read it, um, uh, a gentleman who was the editor at Essex House uh, Books in the late 60s commissioned Phil, and he was actually commissioning a lot of science fiction writers at the time to uh, write porn on the side. Uh, Phil had the guts to write the book under his own name, whereas uh, the rest of the folks were writing uh, and making, you know, good money on the side, but under, uh, pseudonyms. And Phil decided, you know what, if I'm going to do this, uh, I'm going to put my name on it and I'm going to do something really innovative, uh, and, um, and kind of genre, um, breaking. Uh, and so he, uh, came up with his Tarzan analog, Lord Gruneth and his Doc Savage, Analog Doc Caliban, and by the way, he loved these characters. He loved Tarzan. He loved Doc Savage. It was done out of love. Um, it's 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 um, it's pa- it's parody, um, but with a lot of serious um, themes and uh, and tones to it. But it's uh, he's d- it's done out of love, and a lot of fans have really decried. What he did over the years in the book, um, and said, "Oh, you 've crapped on my childhood and ruined Doc Savage for me and ruined Tarzan." and you know whether they felt that way or not, that was not his intent. He loved these characters. so, um, so he wrote basically his version of Tarzan versus Doc Savage, which is Lord Gruneth versus Doc Caliban, uh, and um, they were both beholden to um, a conspiratorial group. Um, called the Nine who were a group of immortals and had been manipulating history and controlling, uh, secretly controlling many aspects of the world for tens of thousands of years. They had an immortality elixir. And Gruneth and Caliban um, become inducted into the ranks of the Nine and get the immortality elixir. Uh, One of the Nine dies and they're uh, looking for a replacement and so uh, they set and Caliban or Tarzan and Doc Savage against each other to fight for this, this open spot on the nine. Um, it's uh, ultra violent. Um, there's a lot of sexual imagery, uh, in the book. And I think that was kind of farmer's intent was to sort of send up the pulp, um, genre and just, you know, amp up that, that sex and violence, um, which were really undertones in the pulps anyway. Um, Uh, He followed that book up with two books and an ace double uh, called Lord of the Trees, and on the other side was the Mad Goblin. So Lord of the Trees was a Gruneth-only story. The Mad Goblin was a Doc Caliban-only story. Uh, But they both took place at the same time and were kind of referring to events that were going on back and forth in those books. Those books were written as straight adventure, still very violent, um, not quite as violent as the first book, and without all of the the sexual aspects uh, to it, uh, and so that's it. So for a very long time, we had the, the three books in the Secrets of the Nine series. Uh, in 1983, uh, Phil Farmer at the World Fantasy Convention presented and read from, and was published in the convention booklet, um, a an, uh, an outline of a fourth book and a proposed chapter. Uh, And that, so that text has been out in the world for a long time. He called the follow up book uh, The Monster on Hold, uh, and it was a dot Caliban focused book. Uh, As part of our exploring of Phil Farmer's files, um, as the FarmerCon folks and the Meteor House folks, um, we discovered additional content for a Caliban novel um, three more short chapters and a lot of notes and so all of that material the the original outline the original chapter and then more chapters we found and scanned notes and handwritten notes all informed um, the completion of the fourth book because unfortunately phil farmer did not complete it himself we don't really know why um, but the estate uh, allowed me to complete it using all of that that material. So that's the secrets of the nine. It's basically Tarzan and Doc Savage versus the secret rulers, secret and immortal rulers of the world.
1: And um, after after he wrote the Mad Goblin and War uh, of the Trees, yeah, he wrote some biographies on Tarzan and Doc Savage, right and if Frank could talk to me about those because they created the world Newton
3: universe. Well, you have to start with the premise that uh, the world Newton universe is, whether you like it or not, it's a separate universe unto itself where it uses the idea of an event that may have altered the genes of a series of people in England. And from there, between the people that were affected by this meteorite strike and just the general, you know, amazing human beings that came from before in the genetics created what you would basically think of as the closest thing to superhuman without being superhuman. Uh, Doc Savage, uh, Tarzan, the Shadow, he took the chance to uh, best expand the world and give it almost a underlying storyline. There's a made of fiction to all fiction is the way Phil did this. And by doing it, he made a really interesting idea of people that are related to each other, not just because of names. In fact, Mm -hmm. Wynne really rejects that a lot over the years, and it's been good that he does. It's about greater... uh, ...conceptions and abilities and concepts. And he created some characters on his own. Uh, A character named William Clayton had a lot of part to that. And connections to characters like Fu Manchu. And even going as far into the present as, say, Travis McGee and Lou Archer. So it's a greater made of fiction of all fiction. And Phil did this and it's fun... We take it as enjoyment. Some people take it as, uh, as the closest thing to Satanism. <laughs> but, and we've been dealing it he deals with it more than the rest of us for some reason. You're...
2: Yeah, I mean there are a lot of people who really enjoy the concept and, and there's some that don't and that, that that's and, great. And it's interesting But it's not a religion. Well, it's not a religion. Um, it's something that we enjoy. It's just another subset of fandom. But it's kind of weird because sometimes like we have a fandom that then says well, your fandom, being fans of this Wold Newton thing, that sucks. Your fandom sucks. And I'm like well, but Weren't you beat up in the 1970s when you were a kid for reading, you know, whatever? Right? right so right. it's so it's weird. It's, um, a, it's but, a weird. Uh, yeah. It's a
3: weird toxic thing that pops up, but over the last few years, it's gotten less because we pay attention less. But that's okay. It's much we'll better.
2: let them be. So I think one of the one of the points maybe where Rick was going to was that. He he outlined the Wold Newton family in two biographies. Yeah. One, a biography of Tarzan and a biography Tarzan, of Doc Savage. Tarzan, Tarzan
3: alive. alive and yeah. Doc Savage's apocalyptic
2: life. So these um, were different takes very, on Tarzan very, very, than on the Lord Grunith and the Doc Caliban. They're, they're and, totally right.
3: different characters in the sense because Tarzan, Doc Savage and all that are not raised in a world created, that is run by nine immortal evil beings that literally spend their entire time messing with the world in every way, shape, and form. In fact, one of the discussions that they had in one of the nine books is they're talking about how they were considering arming the Native Americans before the Europeans got there just to create this really powerful... Then they just said, ah, forget it. We'll just let them die. You know, that is the way they've done it. And you realize that these immortals, who in many cases are based on immortal concepts of mm-hmm. mythology that mm-hmm. he, put, he drew from, yeah. uh, like Ng and the rest that are almost just mentioned in port part until we got there. Yeah, um, These characters are not benign immortals like you would like them to be. They are blood-soaked evil beings who have really kind of both evolved beyond human and gone deeper below human at the same time. They're very... Combination of almost prehistoric and inhuman at the same time, and as such, the world of the nine, the secrets of the nine world, is it's harsher than a pulp world. It's it's worse than a pulp world. It's much more dangerous and violent than a pulp world, and it could be better because Doc Caliban in Secrets in the first book, A Feast Unknown, has revealed that he has all of these amazing things that could save the world Mm. he even gave to the nine in um in lord of the trees it's realized they have a tent that you could literally just take it out of a small pack flick it and it it's done you have a full tent right there and that was a Taliban invention probably in a weekend and that's the kind of things the world could use but you're never going to get it because it's the nines
1: just one thing quickly in case there were any Talbot 1D fans out there and you're wondering if the nine are connected to the nine unknown mm-hmm. they don't seem to
2: be agreed yeah yes. they don't they don't really appear to be I tried to read the nine unknown once
3: it's very uh, it wasn't nine for me. Is, right. the nine unknown yeah. is really a theos- theosophical concept and if you're like that great enjoy I mean it's but it's an e- it's not even really close other than the word nine yeah I tried and other people have tried to myth, mythologically put them together. And other than the word nine, I just don't see it.
1: Now, Lovecraftian concepts enter the picture, but they first entered the Wad Newton universe in uh, Doc Savage's Apocalyptic Life.
2: Correct. Uh, so as part of his uh, Will Newton genealogy, uh, Phil included Robert Blake, uh, in as one of the Wold Newton family members and of course that was you know sort of a take on his um, his good friend Robert or Bob block yes. um, Well, it was a protagonist of HP Lovecraft's the horror of the he, Dog. yes 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 yeah so, so it was sort of a double homage right, right. because uh, and then what was I think there was another <clears throat> uh, Cthulhu mythos connection uh, uh, that he put in Johnny Yes, Johnny. Uh, That's a gra- How can I forget that yeah. part? So, in the Doc Savage biography, um, Phil proposed that the protagonist uh, of At the Mountains of Madness, who's called Professor Dyer in uh, in the Lovecraft story, was actually was really Johnny Littlejohn, who was um, one of Doc Savage's five, fabulous five aides. Um, so, an archaeologist and geologist on the uh, Antarctic expedition, and there's um, even a third
3: one, when he suggests, and this is you know could be or couldn't be, when he suggests that Doc Savage was McGreddy from,
2: uh, from uh, the thing from another world. That, that is <laughs> informant that was, yeah, that wasn't uh, Farmer. That wasn't Farmer. We'll, yeah. there you we'll, go. We'll,
1: yes. we'll, we'll get to that in a minute. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, know I, I know when to back off. No, it's <laughs> all right. <laughs> but to go to the Johnny yes. point of view, uh, Phil doesn't explicitly say this, but I think the, the, the argument was based on two things. William Harper Little John in, in uh, Lester Dent, William Dyer mm-hmm. in... Lovecraft, mm-hmm. Similar
2: name. Sure.
1: And there's also, Lovecraft is an extremely long-winded writer and all his novels <laughs> uses big words like mad, writes like Johnny. So there's an enormous in joke, <laughs> Right, right. But the thing that I've always had a problem with, that theory, was he uh, said uh, the Miskatonic expedition. Farmer said the Miscodonic expedition occurred in 1928, or 29. 29. 29. When it occurs in 1930, 31, in Lovecraft's novel. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure why he changed the
2: chronology, but I, I don't see any reason to. I think, so my speculation, my guess is that he bumped it back so that it took place before all the super sagas started, because there might not have been time... For it, for Johnny to have this six-month or nine-month Antarctic yeah, man expedition.
1: Yeah, man of bronze was like occurring in '31. Right, Johnny would be right. coming that would back. Be right, so. yeah. Uh, I don't personally accept Johnny as dire.
2: That's yeah. yeah.
1: We all have our, our little. Uh, we all have our interpretation. Even man, if we're
2: fans of the Walt Newton and Farmer, we still have a like. Well, I believe this part, but not that part. But
0: that's okay.
1: Well, yeah, it's the, good. The yeah. name William was identified in Lovecraft's shadow or uh, out of time, it was the Miscatonic uh, expedition led by, uh, or including Dyer to Australia. Mm-hmm. And I I, I I did a Doc savage chronology and I just could not fit in this Australian <laughs> expedition. <laughs> but I can get around it a little bit by saying maybe William uh, <clears throat> Dyer is the uncle of Uh, William Harper Little John who is mentioned in um, oh good grief, I forgot it now Mystery Island a Doc Savage uh, novel the uncle is given the nickname of Ned but uh, maybe that is the real Lovecraft connection
2: Okay, could be Very good
1: Now, to get to uh, who goes there Al, it started with Al Tonic, who uh, was writing articles for the fanzines in late 70s. And I believe it is in the Doc Savage Club Reader number 6 that he wrote an article called A Doc Savage Adventure Rediscovered. And he looked at Who Goes There, which John Campbell wrote in um, 1938, and analyzed the hero of that novel, who is uh, named McReddy. And he is described as a man of bronze, he has a beard, unlike Doc is bronze eyes and he's six foot four which is the actual description of Doc's height in one of Lesident's novels The Man Who Was Scared that is an interesting theory
2: mm-hmm. <laughs> which you modify a little bit I modified it a little bit <laughs> tell us how you modified it so I backed up the time of the thing from another world, Who Goes There, and placed it um, before the super sagas because in Who Goes There it says the McGretti is studying for his MD, I believe, but doesn't have it yet. He actually said
1: that he that, got the MD.
2: He was he had his MD? He had his by MD
1: day? and he uh was ready, he was preparing for a fellowship, and he changed over to um, meteorology because he was a
2: meteorologist and he, uh, of, he, of, of, of the of he the, expedition the of the. He changed his direction studies, but he had yeah. gotten his degree. Gotcha. So, um, in Phil's notes for the Monster on Hold, he he explicitly he comes out and he says. Uh, that, um, that Edgar Allan Poe's narrative of Arthur Gordon Pym, which involves some events down at the Antarctic, um, that, that Verne's Sphinx of the Ice Fields is a sequel to Arthur Gordon Pym, that Lovecraft's At the Mountains of Madness is specifically a sequel to both of those, and that The Monster on Hold, in turn, is a, se- is a sequel to all of those. So, so I proposed that, that Doc whichever Doc you prefer, right? Okay. Doc Caliban, Doc Savage, Doc Wildman, went on, you know, ad- I adopted the theory, mm-hmm. Altamic's theory. theory. Uh, he was on the the Antarctic expedition uh, and um, was the, you know, was McReady. Um, so that theory is incorporated in here. And then the Mountains of Madness expedition happened. Uh, and so there's a lot going on in the Antarctic uh, in, in the history of of these books
1: the um, Al originally put it in the 30s yes and um, there's a reference to um, cyclotrons which
2: is consistent with the 30s unless they had cyclotrons in Doc Caliban's <laughs> universe in the 1920s <laughs> 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 but. If this only occurs
1: in Doc Savage in Doc Caliban universe, now we're getting into the multiverse.
2: Correct. Yes. Correct. I also just want to note that there's 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 a there's another. Um, there, I'm sure there are many Doc experts in the room. There's a, there's one Doc expert in the room that independently came up with the Met- McCready. I don't. He he had not read the doc savage reader 6 and yeah. so that happens in research um but um, some people in the same <laughs> <laughs> uh so there's a multiversal aspect to it so so frank has talked about the world newton universe and sort of the more straight versions of tarzan and doc savage and then we have these other versions in the nine universe and you know without providing too many spoilers the the book gets into a multiversal aspect Uh, so there was a fan, uh, uh, there might've been two fans in the seventies who wrote Phil a letter where the history is a little bit unclear, but there's at least one fan who wrote a letter, uh, after the Mad Goblin and said, Hey, why don't you have, why don't you have Doc Savage versus Cthulhu? And Phil kind of was like, maybe that's an idea. Well, he, he actually ended up running with it. And so in the monster on hold, he kind of created his own, version of a Lovecraftian entity. So he didn't literally use you know the same um, creatures or entities that are described in the Cthulhu mythos. So he came up with his own entity called Shrask and Doc Caliban and the other Doc um, are both touched by dreams and, and nightmares by this, this creature and they're drawn to, um, to a very deep cave system in, in New England. Uh, And it just so happens that they both had been drawn to that same cave system back in 1948. So they both had sort of a parallel adventure in their parallel universes back in 1948. And now it's 1984, and they're being drawn back. And for those of you who have actually read the whole Doc Savage corpus, that's a reference back to the final Doc Savage novel, Up From Earth Center. Um, so not only is this a sequel to all the Lovecraft books and the Poe and so forth, but it's very explicitly a sequel um, and kind of a resolution to, um, obviously a not non-official resolution, but a, resolu- a farmarian resolution to the final Doc Savage novel, Up From Earth's Center. Uh, and it also functions as a sequel to the... F- to Doc, uh, Doc Savage Escape from Loki, which was Phil's authorized Tarzan novel about, Doc young, Doc, about young Doc Savage. You just said Tarzan. Tarzan? Doc Savage, Doc Savage. <laughs> Escape from Loki. It's late. <laughs> I just like I'd help. Thank you. Now,
1: even though he does not appear in Monster on Hold, uh, Frank created a new character Yes. in the Grand and Grunwich
2: Yes.
3: it's... Uh, wow, I can't believe I wrote it. <laughs> this universe. Is, uh, What happened was, I've always been a fan of the Nine, even more so than Walt Newton. I just always thought that that was an amazing universe. And I proposed to take place in the same world, but to take place at the side of what's going on. Wynn is writing the grand events, the dealing with the Nine, dealing with the Lovecraft... But the characters that are the heroes and villains of this world all became what's called candidates of the Nine. They're the people who are living long periods of time. We see a character named Murtaug, who is kind of a... Uh, maybe the son or is Moriarty. I mean, there's a lot of this in there, and there's a lot suggested. And my proposal to the Meteor House guys, and they accepted, was... <coughs> to have stories that take place to the side of it, Candid- a candidate taking on the candidates of the nine, the, the, the power that is holding up these immortals. So I created this character Langston DuPont, name changed by him, <laughs> but it's a good name change. Thank you. Um, and they changed the name to the title, which was really good, called It's, it's Always Darkest. Uh, this is it. And it's the character Langston DuPont is the Dark Avenger of this world. He's not the Shadow. He's not the Spider. He's not the Green Hornet. He's not Black Bat, Batman, or any of them. He's all of them and none of them. Not the
2: Green Llama, too. too. Not the Green Llama,
3: too. There's a lot of martial arts because it's me. But uh, (laughs) he's all of them and none of them. And he has a deep connection to the actual Nine. And there's also a little bit of the... Eastern Zen philosophy thrown in with him because he realizes, after seeing their very selfless events by going after the the nine, that all of his good was actually just, you know, a fake way of hiding the fact that he's as impure as everybody else in this world. So he decides to take on a character named Seiko Midori, who is his like female partner. They the male and female partner up and there's certain ones that are kind of assigned to each other and Seiko Midori is based on a woman from ancient Japan ancient, really it's 17th century Uh, there was a woman who was the daughter the the niece of a man named Nobunaga and she ended up becoming the second wife of the man who united the whole country Uh, and she was known to be beautiful and brilliant. She ended up getting killed, but it, it was I said, well, there you go. And that's the kind of person the Nine would want on their side. Beautiful, brilliant, dangerous, and willing to do anything for them to keep alive. So he's taking on her power base through the use of, well, the things you would expect from a Dark Avenger type. Plus somebody crazy like me who does martial arts still. <laughs> so there's a lot of that in there. And I even use um, the second greatest swordsman in history I'm, uh, in it. A man named Sasaki Kojiro who was considered maybe even the best who lost a very famous fight to the greatest swordsman, Miyamoto Musashi. So there's a lot of this stuff in there and it's a lot of action because it's me. And I write action. But it was a lot of fun to write and I was grateful and well, the is fantastic by Keith like over there. It's a beautiful cover. First hardcover I've ever done. i right. yeah, never had a hardcover before, so I was real proud of this. And yeah. The master of my karate school especially loves this cover. <laughs> so it, it was a lot of fun to write, but it also gave me a chance to kind of give a little bit of an expansion to the nine world without doing anything that could upset the um, overall framework that Phil Farmer created. And mm-hmm. That was important to me you got to keep it the way it is, so if anything big happens with the Nine, he could be involved, but he's always going to be a second great player to it, because I want it that way. So
1: There you go. One little interesting trick that you do in a novel is, I read it carefully, and I noticed that the villains were all based, were all cast as if they were being played by a Hollywood actor.
3: Oh, yes. <laughs> I, was, I was, I'm not even hiding that. It's all based on seventies and uh, Har- Hollywood, right there in my brain. Oh no, the character. There's a character in there, and we were talking about this on the drive, which makes it ten times funnier to me. <laughs> on the drive, we I'm driving with uh, with Rick, and he says he turns to me and says, "That biker character, that was William Smith, wasn't it? You know, Big Bill Smith." Yeah, it's like, yeah, that's him. That's that's him. William Smith. For those of you who don't know, you probably have seen him many times. He was in any which way you can with Clint Eastwood. He was in a dozen biker movies. In real life, he was a, he had a master's degree in Russian language. He was an arm, uh, Air Force intelligence officer, a black belt in kung fu, and held a bench press record for like 20 years or something like. He's a real all around tough guy that. Um, when you see him, you'll recognize him. Uh, and he has literally the best fight scene in Hollywood history. There's a movie called uh, Darker Than Amber uh, with Rod Taylor. And Rod Taylor, as some people might know, he was a very tough Australian guy and he liked to fight. He was good at it. And he saw this big, you know, American guy and he said, all right, let's see how tough you are. And they really fought. And you see the movie, he, they're actually, hmm. he broke, uh, He William Smith broke Rod Taylor's nose, and Rod Taylor broke his nose. It was real. It's on camera. Hmm. Don't watch the rest of the movie, though. The movie's movie's terrible. But this part of the movie, I watched it at the same time as Stephen Barnes, who's got like 30 years more of martial arts on me, and we're both like, that's the moment. I see that nose break. We're both Hmm. watching it on separate separate ends of the continent, but Hmm. it was really kind of cool. So yeah, um, everybody is based on something like that because I was trying to pay tribute to the 70s, in my own sort of way, and I had a lot of fun doing it because, well, I watched all those movies despite my marriage, my parents not wanting me to. One interesting
1: aspect about putting a Lovecraftian and uh, interpretation on uh, "Up from Earth Center" by Lester Dent is, I, I don't think Lester Dent ever read Lovecraft, but there is a Plot element in uh, *Up from a Center* that came from a, that may have come from a cosmic horror novel written by somebody else. Uh, at the end of *Up from Earth Center*, after they've gone into this cave and see these living trees, living boulders, all weird sort of creatures, there is some speculation that they hallucinated the whole thing with, from an under, due to an underground gas. And there was a um, best-selling horror novel in the early 20s called, I think it's it's, it's either The Thing in the Lake or The Thing from the Lake. I think it's The Thing from the Lake, but it may be In instead of From. And it was written by a um, woman who normally wrote romances. Uh, her name was Nancy Ingram. And... The novel has a plot that's similar to the Dunwick Horror, Mm -hmm. in that there is this monster, uh, it's semi-visible, in uh, New England, who is mating with uh, human women. And uh, in case you're wondering, Lovecraft's letters reveal he read it around 27, I think and uh, Dunwick Horror wasn't written until 1928. Hmm. And there are similarities to uh, a fragment he wrote called uh, The Round Tower, which was sort of a... a, 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 another Dunwick uh, horror-type story, which Grolitz made it uh, The Lurker at the (laughs) threshold.
2: That's... That's really interesting because they're, they're definitely... Um, the denwick core was also an inspiration for some of the elements in, in the Monster on Hold, as was the Lurker at, at the threshold. No, yeah. um, and speaking of Up From Earth Center, some other elements from that, if you, if you read Up From Earth Center, um, if you have a chance to read it, uh, and you're sort of baffled by it, go back and, and read it again uh, kind of make a list of the unanswered questions that that Dent leaves hanging because there's a lot of them, and we try to implicitly answer those questions in the Monster on Hold. Like so, the key to the puzzle, some of the mysteries that are that are sitting in that last Doc Savage novel, the answers are in the book. They're not explicit. We don't bang you over the head. You kind of have to put the puzzle pieces together. But for instance, there was there was there was a, there was a, a character. Um, Mr. Whale, and you know, he suddenly appeared in this cabin in a schooner, right? And they suddenly disappeared. Well, how? Why? You know, how did that happen? We explain that in in the book. So. All right.
1: now, even though we this uh, Shrask is that the uh, Shrask. Uh, Shrask, yeah, Shrask. Shrask, Even though that name does not appear in Lovecraft. Right, and that would be true of the Doc Caliban universe because uh, it's different. But you have the regular, this other Doc.
2: Yes. Who
1: had who? If we are to believe Farmer, had connections to At the Mount of Correct. How does Shrask fit into Lovecraft's hierarchy?
2: So Shrask is basically a. Female yog soothoth with elements of Nigarath, So out of time, out of space, sort of in this nether, you know, not affected at all by by normal normal time and space. Um, and you know, it, it was clear from his notes that that was kind of the direction he was going, as well as just from the descriptions of shrask. You know, if you were looking for a Lovecraftian. Entity uh, analog to Shrask, just based on the descriptions, um, it would it would be mostly Yaksothas.
1: Now, Yaksothas and Shub nigaroth are uh, husband and wife, yes. according to Lovecraft's letters. Yes, uh, there, were, there is a reference to this in the Mound, but uh, Yaksothas is, is called the, the, the not to be named one, mm-hmm. and that. There's a whole history of other entities being called but not to be named one in the Mm cathedral themselves. So probably a mistake of interpretation. But uh, you could view Shrask as yak and shrub mating and forming briefly a uh, composite entity.
2: Mm -hmm. And and Shrask also has... Uh, offspring mm-hmm. who are twins um, which is, and that's kind of where the Denwick Horror aspect of it um, uh, is inspirational as in well In the mound,
1: they have and Yeah with were are twin obscenities mm-hmm. Right
3: So yeah, it all works together By the way, when Rick gives you these, uh, these things he just will reel off things you've never heard of in your life have a pad nearby because he's always got. <laughs> I was six hours, and I wish I had a pad writing down all the things he was telling me on the way and that I could have. He's and the it's best.
2: and it's all in his head. It's amazing. It is it's amazing. Un, and it's, it's, a a un, and it's a pleasure. Unbelievable. It's a pleasure yeah. to hear it too. Well, we we are. One would think
3: I would have done yeah. that, right? Yeah.
2: Now you know. Yeah, I'll still make a mistake. <laughs> I
3: forget. You
1: also threw in well. Some other novels by Phil. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. You, you, did, something, to this out. you <laughs> did something nice with the Doc Caliban universe. You put in the novels which are, can't are, are very far removed from events in the real world. Yes, and made them part of the Caliban
2: yes. world. So I, I decided that um, I theorized. So, Phil, Phil lived in L.A. Uh, in the mid to late 60s. When did he move back to Peoria? 70? 71? Uh, 70? Uh, okay, so 70, right? Late, late 69 or 70. So, I call it his L.A. period. And his L.A. period also encompasses his porn period, right? So, he wrote other, uh, other books for Essex uh, House, Image of the Beast, and blown, uh, and then he wrote another one, um, which didn't end up getting published by Essex. It was originally contracted by Essex, and then it moved over to Brandon House called Love Song. So I decided that all of these books from the LA period and that were you know sort of these underground books that you would buy in a carry home in a brown wrapper, mm-hmm. all took place in the same continuity. So I threw in references uh, the image of the beast, love song, um, uh, and then I threw in a reference to uh, one of his unpublished uh, books from the '70s. Uh, it's now been published. Um, it came out uh, from Subterranean Press, well, originally in Farmer File, which was our our fanzine uh, or prozine that we did. Um, uh, Mike, Paul, Chris, and myself participated in that, and we. Um, presented it in ten parts over ten issues, up from the mo- up from the bottomless pit. Then it was in subterranean press, hardcover, and now we have soft covers of it um, sitting at our media house table, which is kind of like a um, uh, disaster. It's like a nineteen seventies disaster movie, you know, like Airport or the Poseidon, event, except it's about you know a, a giant oil accident um, in LA. Again, another one of his LA LA stories. So I threw Tried to. Provide some continuity um, with some of his books and the Caliban universe.
1: There is a uh, very obscure connection to a Cthulhu Mythos story that Bill Farmer did called "The Freshman." Yes,
0: yes, there I is. Story. Yeah, yeah. Do you want to elaborate on that? Sure.
2: So uh, in the Freshman, um, and I can't remember the exact, but the, the name is Den Denbron, um, and there's a Denbron sigil. Uh, or, you know, an artifact that is used in the Monster on Hold. It was the
1: Marquis of Deborah, there's some yeah. reference to a sorcerer. Y-
2: yeah, yes, in, in the freshman it was. The freshman. And then in the, and this was, so, yeah, exactly. And then in the book there was a sigil or an, a, an artifact. Um, Apparently named after. Him. Yeah. And the, and the interesting thing is, is um, I kind of forgot about the freshman reference. So Denbron appeared in his notes, and I grabbed it from his notes for Monster. So he that's his his connection. He did that. Um, he, was, he was making those connections uh, himself. And uh, fortunately, I saw it in the notes and, and was able to use it.
3: Now, Frank, are you going to do anything more with uh, the hero? It's up to me to your house. I'd be happy to write another one. <laughs> I mean, if they want it, they'll get it. I'll write it this year. <laughs> yeah, I have actually a second idea um, involving uh, kind of subterranean uh, adventure, uh, kind of, you know, one of those uh, secret hideaways in the middle of the Andes or something like that. Uh, you know, something to talk about. I'll talk to them over the weekend if they're interested, we'll talk. Okay. It, it's a, it, I have, it'll just understand it's gonna have a lot of action. If you don't sure. like action, don't read me. <laughs> but yeah, there, there's um, actually I talked to Win when we were in the process of creating it, and I had an idea of a character, a real one that's become. There's a character called Bai Mei, uh, who is uh, the same character played by Gordon Lau in Kill Bill Two, mm. and in he kills that character. Actually, Gordon Lau, when he was a young man, fought that character. In another movie, so it was the reverse. There, he was playing the character he once killed. He is based on a real man named Bach May, who invented a very unique style of uh, fighting that involves maximum amount of punishment and the minimum <clears throat> amount of motion. And uh, well, he was a real person. Um, and well, I was thinking of having him as one of the villains in the story, just to give you a, a concept there. And also involving uh, there was a character in real history uh, who, was the, who was supposedly the son of Ivan the Terrible it called the False Ivan and they don't know whether he was the real son of Ivan the Terrible or not but he disappeared some say he was murdered some day he wasn't and I'm thinking of him is probably involved hmm. too so just thoughts uh, random stuff I'll talk to them about it but I hope
2: so cool you heard it
3: here first yeah that's the you know <laughs> I'm always thinking of something. Chris, Chris has a question. So if,
2: if the Essex House books are part of this continuity, yeah. does that bring Traitor to the Living in also? Yeah, it probably, okay. yeah. If there was a, be a good thing. Yeah, so Image of the Beast and Blown, and it's a trilogy. Uh, the third book is called Traitor to the Living. Um, and Traitor to the Living is... Um, very different from, from the first two books, but involves the same character.
1: It's not quite clear how they can... It's sort of like he says in Living he was on drugs during the previous adventures.
2: Yeah, but he definitely said... There's one line where he definitely says, that used to be my name. Yeah. Now, this is my... I have, a, I have a new name now. Yeah.
3: The whole, the whole, amnesia, <laughs> bit, the whole right. amnesia bit, which, honestly, it's my, usually my least favorite idea, but Phil made it actually enjoyable, but uh, most amnesia stories are just plain stupid i'm sorry <laughs> it's just no. the truth, but he made it really good. I really enjoy all three of those books and
2: you know saying that the that the first two books were sort of a hallucinogenic you know drug induced nightmare, and certainly um, possible i mean that so just very briefly um that the events of the first two books are attributable uh or attributed aliens but in the second book there's actually a different explanation so the explanations for what's happening shift through all three books um definitely highly recommended stuff if you're really into some deep um kind of twisted farmer
3: yeah it's it's a form of cosmic horror without the tentacles and all that nonsense because it really, you really don't. But there know. is a snake. There is a snake. but like, That's not a tentacle. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it just, it, it does. It just uh, nice to have a cosmic horror that doesn't just rewrite Lovecraft for the yeah. hundredth time. And that's really how I think of those mm-hmm. books, because uh, the the mist and all that stuff. Yeah, you know, yeah, the green mist. The green and mist and, yeah. and all that stuff. And they. Yeah
2: play it really well. We're trying not to give too much away and also we can't like say a lot of these words. That's, up here. <laughs> that's
3: why we're being really obscure. We
2: right. it.
1: <laughs> well, I think we've reached time.
2: Alright. Well, Rick, thank you, thank you very man. much thank for moderating you. and uh, thank you for writing the book. Thank you for letting and me. And thanks thank for listening. We appreciate it. Thank you.
0: You've been listening to a Pulp Event Podcast, brought to you by The Pulp Net, your link to the online world of The Pulp Magazines for over 25 years. Please visit us online at thepulp.net. Also, look for The Pulp Net on Facebook and on Twitter. Thank you for listening, and keep reading The Pulps. This Pulp Event Podcast is copyright 2022 by William P. Lampkin, all rights reserved.